as you're aware, we've been looking through the uh, the Psalms and looking at the first uh, Psalms, uh, in, and most of those are uh, David's Psalms of David, uh, and we've come to Psalm 10. And as we look at the Psalms, the, there's often a pattern with the way that David writes the Psalms. Um, he will almost express deep feeling and yearning to God in the first opening stanzas. And then he'll say what's bothering him or what's getting at him. And then at the end, it's almost as if he's been able to offload that onto the Lord. And as he's come in prayer and he's shared with God what's the burden of his heart, then he recognizes who God is eh, and his might and his power. And this psalm is no different eh, to that. When we started the series, we said that the psalms are a combination of prayer, of praise, but they're there with deep emotion. There's nothing held back eh, in these psalms. The emotion is quite deep felt and is quite raw at times. Eh, and it's good for us to hear that because God is not bothered when we come to him and express ourselves and give what's going really on in our hearts. God loves to hear that because he wants to know us and he wants to respond uh, to us. So as I read this psalm uh, for you, uh, let's look at what, what is David feeling? What is he seeing? What is he bringing to God? And remember I said at the start that a lot of the psalms are uh, full of pictures. Uh, they're poetry. They're quite expressive. Uh, so can you look out for David's feelings, his seeing, what he's seeing, what he's bringing to God? And I wonder how many pictures uh, you can get uh, from this psalm. So Psalm 10. Why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In his arrogance, the wicked man hunts down the weak who are caught in the schemes he devises. He boasts of the cravings of his heart. He blesses the greedy and reviles the Lord. In his pride, the wicked does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. His ways are always prosperous. He is haughty and your laws are far from him. He sneers at all his enemies. He says to himself, nothing will shake me. I'm always, I'll always be happy and never have trouble. His mouth is full of curses and lies and threats. Trouble and evil are under his tongue. He lies in wait near the villages. From ambush he murders the innocent, watching in secret for his victims. He lies in wait like a lion in cover. He lies in wait to catch the helpless. He catches the helpless and drags them off in his net. His victims are crushed. They collapse. They fall under his strength. He says to himself, God has forgotten. He covers his face and never sees. Arise, Lord. Lift up your hand, O God. Do not forget the helpless. Why does the wicked man revile God? Why does he say to himself, he won't call me to account? But you, O God, do see trouble and grief. You consider it to take it in hand. The victim commits himself to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. 
Break the arm of the wicked and the evil man. Call him to account for his wickedness. That would not be found out. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations will perish from his land. You hear, O Lord, the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them and you listen to their cry, defending the fatherless and the oppressed, in order that man who is of the earth may terrify no more. So if you look at these opening these opening two phrases, David just cries out to God, and it's a deep and heartfelt cry. Why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Now, as we know, God has no legs. So what's this picture in David's mind of God? He's seeing God as a, as a human being who is standing away in the distance. And when somebody is standing, they're inactive. There's no action there. They're out of sight, as it were. How often have we had it said to us when we were young or even now, don't just stand there, do something. That's the thought that's going on in David's mind. God, are you standing at a distance? Do you not care? Are you not doing anything? And then he says this, why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? And of course it raises the whole question, God doesn't hide. God is not the business of hiding. But it's what David's feeling at the time. He's saying it's, you know, you're not wishing to face up to what's going on. It's almost as if he's saying, is anyone there? Where are you, God? Are you hiding? Now I wondered, as I read these lines, how many of us have been as honest with God as that? As that? Are we often polite in our prayers? Do we find it difficult to really express what's going on deep in our hearts? Would we ever dare to say to God, are you hiding? Are you standing far off? Are you not interested? Something has got David agitated. Something is bothering David in the depths of his being, and he wants it dealt with. And this is why he's expressing himself like this. He's all worked up about something. And maybe he feels helpless in what he sees. Maybe he himself can't do anything about it. And he's frustrated by this and by this lack of being able to help. And then he goes on to express what has been troubling him. I was reading someone recently and they said it was quite a good pattern if you were reading the Psalms, each Psalm you read, at the end of it, try and summarize it with one or maybe two words. And Jimmy did it last week when he said that the beginning of this Psalm, the Psalm 9, uh, he thought the word was revelation. And I think the words that come out from David's thinking in this Psalm are the words oppression and terror. This is what's bothering David. 
the oppression of others and the terror that this is causing. And he goes on to express, I'm not going to go into it in detail, but just to summarize it, David sees the weak and the poor hunted down. He sees defenseless people just brushed aside, treated as worthless and exploited. People subjected to verbal abuse, shown no respect, lied to and threatened. It's interesting that verse, as I was reading it, it brought back to my mind about three years ago I was visiting somebody in Sochton prison and going in you're searched very carefully for what you might be carrying in with you uh, and it was the first time I had experienced that and um, I didn't mind being frisked uh, thinking well I could have had something in my pockets but I was asked to open my mouth wide to see if anything was in my mouth and then I was asked to put my tongue up in the air to see if there was anything hidden under my tongue. What is David expressing here? This, the man who is the oppressor. His mouth is full of curses and lies and threats. Trouble and evil are under his tongue. It's, in other words, there's just a mouth full of abuse, full of oppression. So, and I think what David's hinting at here is what he's seeing is that it's not just physical oppression. It can actually be verbal. Verbal oppression is part of it as well. And he sees innocent people murdered. He sees life being treated with very little value. And he sees helpless people being dragged off and crushed physically, mentally, and spiritually. And I hope you picked up the pictures there that he has uh, he sees the wicked man lying, crouching down like a lion, waiting to pounce. That's one picture. And then he speaks about people being dragged off in nets. Well, the lion doesn't use nets, so he's onto another picture. He's into hunting, a hunting picture. And who's doing all this? Who are the men that David is really angry with? And David describes them as people who are out for selfish gain. He describes them as arrogant, scheming, proud, keeping in with the rich, setting traps, and using innocent people for their own evil desires and gain. But there's another aspect to these people, these oppressors, that are agitating uh, David with their behavior. He describes them as people who snub God, who don't seek him, who have no room for God in their lives, who are not interested in his laws, and they see themselves as unshakable. They think God doesn't see them, and certainly God will never catch them. And as I thought about that, I wonder as a nation, as we turn our backs as a nation on God, and we don't want anything more to do with him, and there's a sense as a nation we've snubbed God, and we don't want to seek him, we're not interested in his laws or upholding the standards that he's given us, can we expect to see more and more oppression in our land. 
Are we seeing more and more oppression in our land? And David's saying the root of it is that people have snubbed God. So what does that look like for us today? What is it that we can see in our land and around us that could be causing us uh, distress uh, and, and anxiety uh, and, and just generating these deep-seated feelings uh, within us? Could it be human trafficking? Modern slavery? People being forced into the sex trade? Gangs or individuals targeting the vulnerable, the poor, the disadvantaged? People exploiting the elderly? People intending to be their carers? And tradesmen there to help at exploiting them? People who commit bank fraud, both from the outside but by scamming, but from the inside by fraud. Those in church who abuse their power. Those who bully others. Men and women at work. Children at school. Those mis-selling products. Or mis-selling policies. The media hunting down innocent individuals. Politicians slandering each other for personal political gain. Is that oppression? Those murdered for their faith. Those who are racially abused. Those who come to spectate at football matches and are racially abusing football players, drug dealers, who have no regard for the consequences of what they're doing. It's endless, isn't it? It's endless. These are the oppressors of our day. And these are the people who are causing terror for individuals and for groups. But David doesn't stop there. It's, as I said at the beginning, it's as if he takes uh, these things to the Lord. And then he says, arise, Lord. It's almost as if David's saying, it's time to get up. But he's saying it in a different tone, I think, than what he started with. It's not the same tone of where are you hiding? Are you standing still? Are you inactive? He's saying, arise, Lord, it's time to get up. Don't forget the helpless, because you are able to help these people. You have the power, you have promised to care, and never forget the helpless. It's a cry for help, and it's a cry to end this oppression. You do see what's going on. You are the helper for these people. And then he cries out, to break their arms, and that sounds quite uh, ruthless. But in actual fact, it's a picture. Um, God is often described in Scripture, his power is described as his right arm. So it's a picture of power, and he's pleading with God to take away the power of the wicked. And God, towards the end of the psalm, these verses that Chris read at the end uh, there, says, you are king forever. 
You hear the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them. You listen to their cry. You defend the faithful, the faithless, the fatherless and the oppressed. You can stop the terror. David has suddenly got this picture of God's power, of what God can do. And he's coming to God and saying, arise. It's time to get up. Now, as we look at ourselves in this picture, and in this in this psalm, in the issues that we have in our own lives, the problems that we have, uh, the, the things that we find that we uh, do wrong, the things that we should do and we don't do, does God stand afar off? Is God hiding himself from us? And when you look at it, he saw this world's mess and he sent Jesus. He sent Jesus to become one of us. Into the middle of this mess, Jesus came to live among it, to be part of it. And Jesus showed us how the kingdom should be. And he endured oppression and he endured terror for us that we might be set free. He died that we might live and he rose again that we might reign with him. When we think of that, we can't say that God has stood far off us, that God has hidden himself for us. But what about the things that are going on around us? I wonder if even this week, as you've read the news, as you've watched your TV screens, has something really got to you? Has it stirred something deep within you? A feeling of anger, a feeling of this needs to be dealt with. Have you felt that this week? And if, it, if you have, what is it that you've felt? Have you brought it to the Lord? Is he asking you to do something about it? Is the reason that you've felt this way, the depth of feeling that you've had, is that God-given because he's saying, come on, let's do this together. Don't just stand there, come with me, and let's do something together about it. One of the things that's interesting in the gospel stories is how often we come across the word compassion. And I know Peter and I had a talk about this word compassion several months ago. Um, and I think what we often do is make the word compassion quite small. And we say that it just means love. And it does mean that. But that time when Jesus, when the, the man with leprosy came from where he was staying out with the town, completely excluded, completely separate from his family and his friends, and he came and walked towards Jesus and then knelt in front of him. Mark tells us that Jesus was filled with compassion. Now that word compassion 
is quite difficult to translate. Yes, it means love. But sometimes the translation is indignant. Sometimes the translation is deeply moved. It's not just a superficial love that Jesus was feeling with for that man with the leprosy. And for all lepers. And the way they were being treated. It was something really deep. And one of the things that I think we struggle with too is that the word compassion, I think, involves anger. Jesus was angry with what he saw. He saw what sin had brought into the world, into disease. He saw the leprosy on this man. But he saw the way that he was treated in the community as a complete reject. And left outside the town really to die. And Jesus had compassion on him. I wonder if we need to ask Jesus, can we have some of that compassion too? Can we feel like you feel? Can we see what you see? And then, of course, can we act like you acted? Because Jesus defied everything. And he put out his hand and he touched the man with leprosy. Now that would have been horrifying to the disciples. It would have been horrifying to everybody around. But he touched the man. He acted. He didn't just see what was going on. He did something about it. He stretched out his hand and touched the leper. And I wonder, just as I come to a conclusion, I wondered how often you and I, when we wake up in the morning, do we say good morning to Jesus? Do we welcome him into another day? And I wonder, have we ever dared to pray, Lord Jesus, where are you going today? And can I come with you? Because we can't do it alone. And David recognized that. We need the power of Jesus. We need his help. We need his direction. We need uh, to see how he does things. Are you going to ask him maybe each morning this week? Where are you going today, Jesus? And can I come with you? Amen. Let's just pray. Father God, we are challenged by so much of what we see in the world around us, even in our own nation, even in this city. When we see those who are oppressed, downtrodden, used and abused. Lord, will you come in power? Will you break the power of the wicked? And Lord, will you help us to be willing to work with you?
Lord, will you show us what we can do to influence the oppression that we see around us. Lord, will you give us a heart for these people, these men, women and children. And will you help us to walk with you and to make a difference in the world that we see around us. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.